Shalom and welcome to Jesus Didn't Speak English. This is the fifth episode titled Jesus, High Priest After the Order of Melchizedek. I'm Jeff Parks. And I'm Bob Bostic. And we're going to get right into it. Also, in case you weren't aware, Shalom is Hebrew because this episode is brought to you by Hebrew. Huh. Because it's important. Is yep. it really important? Yeah, this is like a pretty foundational thing for all of Christendom. Hebrew, yeah, I said Christendom. Hebrew or Shalom? Shalom, Hebrew, and the title and the, the topic we're going to be talking about, which is Jesus, who is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Got it. So, who's Melchizedek, Bob? It's a guy in the Bible. Who is Melchizedek in the Bible, Bob? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. You got to laugh at these things so people know that it's a joke. Because <laughs> if not, they're going to be like, this guy is the worst. Who is he in the Bible? Do you know? I do not. Okay. For you and for all of the listeners that we have, I will regale you with the tale of Melchizedek. So how many times is Melchizedek mentioned in the Bible? Real quick, just for fun trivia. You can cheat because I told you like literally 10 minutes ago. You did. Okay. I wasn't sure if I could just spout a three. He's mentioned three different places in the Bible. Technically, if we're going to be really technical, the times he's mentioned is more than that because in Hebrews, in the New Testament, he's mentioned a lot more, but it's all pertaining to the same stuff. So, so why, why do they just throw a dude in there three times, but they never really give you any kind of background? You don't hear anything about this guy other than here's his name three times. Well, you'd have to ask Moses and David and the author of Hebrews. And I am none of those three people, so I, I, I can't really tell you about that. But He's got big implications. So the first time we see Melchizedek is in Genesis 14. And this is right after the war of like the nine kings. Sounds like a really epic like Tolkien. Like Lord fantasy. of the Rings. Yeah. War of the Kings. I'd watch that movie. Yeah. I mean, it'd be pretty good. So there's a bunch of guys in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Two of the kings are the kings of Sodom and the king of, of Gomorrah. And they are fighting against this other guy, Herdolamur, okay, who is like a king of another area who essentially was like running the roost for a while. And for 12 years, everybody serves him. And then in the 13th year, they all decide to rebel. Sodom so, and Gomorrah do? Sodom and Gomorrah. They had, there was, that was like the team of five kings. What a shock that it's those two. I'm stunned. They decide to rebel against this guy and his other alliance of four kings. So it's 5v4. Okay. And that king, Gedelamor, takes it to the kings of Sodom and all the other ones. And beats them. And then they go off with lots of plunder and spoil and also Lot. They take Lot with him. So wait, the five or the four one? The four. Who was the guy who was like the leader, the head, yeah. head honcho. Yeah, but he still had less. So then he comes, or so somebody comes and reports to Abraham. And this is a couple of interesting things just for trivia. Um, I believe, and I didn't fact check it, so I don't know. I believe that this is the first time that Abraham is called Abraham the Hebrew is in this part of scripture because somebody comes and reports to Abraham, the Hebrew, that that king, Chedolamur, took Lot from Sodom with all the plunder and stuff. Is that significant or was there another Abraham, like Abraham, the Greek? I mean, Greeks weren't even around then. I don't think that a Abraham Greek person would have, well, I mean, the Greeks, the Greeks were around just in like Greece and stuff. They probably wouldn't also have a name like Avram, which is like super Hebrew and Chaldee. That's a whole other thing. We're getting really off the, the beaten path. So uh, the interesting thing is that Hebrew, the word there means other. All right. So like the, it comes from the Abraham is from the other side of the river. And that river is Eber, which is like the other. Even the word for Hebrew in Hebrew is Ivrit, which means from the other. It's like a whole thing. So Abraham's from the other side of the tracks. Mm, essentially. It's from the south side. Uh, I think it would actually technically be the east side. But again, not important. Even better. So. Abraham hears this, gathers all his boys. I'm, I'm using that in the colloquial, all his boys. He's from the east side. He's got boys. He's got all his dudes and all of his trained men. And they pursue those kings as far as Dan is what it says. All right. So in Israeli geography, so Sodom and Gomorrah, nobody definitively knows where it is because it was wiped off the face of the planet. But specifically uh, when, it, the, when the scene is being set, it talks about being in this valley of uh, Shinnom which could be, and they believe, biblical scholarship at least, believes that it's near the Dead Sea. Okay, so the Dead Sea is to the east of Jerusalem. 
down in relatively the south or the central part of Israel. Dan is all the way at the north. So all the way up there. So Abraham gathers all of his troops and pursues these guys all the way up north and attacks them at night and takes over, kills them all. Was he specifically going after Lot? Yes, 100%. Okay. When he heard that Lot was taken, he was like, mm, y'all done messed up because now it's, now it's coming to you. Y'all done messed up, A.A. Ron. Y'all done messed up, cared a little more. So uh, he goes up there. He routes them, which is a great old English word for puts the whooping on, and then takes all their spoils that they took and Lot and comes back down to his place back at Mamre, okay, which is where he meets the three persons of God. That's a whole other thing. I'm not going to touch it right now. When he comes back down, there's a new king of Sodom who comes out and greets him. And then 1418, okay? So this king comes out. I'm saying new king because if you read chapter 14, uh, it says that the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fell at the battlefield, which means died. And now there's another king that comes out from Sodom and is talking to Abraham. Well, at this point, it's Abram, not Abraham. And so 1417 says that. 1418 says, and Melchizedek, king of Shalem, comes out and brings bread and wine to Abram. And then it says that he blesses him in the name of the Most High God. And it records the blessing that Melchizedek blesses Abram with. And then Abram tithes to Melchizedek. He gives him a tenth of all of his stuff to Melchizedek. Okay? Okay. You're making a great face right now. I wish that people could see it. You're like, hmm, that's interesting. Well, because it's just very interesting. It is. If Jesus is the high priest of Melchizedek, Which Melchizedek's blessing just came out of nowhere. He's like, hey, uh, I take over all this stuff. And also, I'm blessing the Most High God, like blessing you in the name of the Most High so God. That's the thing and too. also, so here's Melchizedek. a tenth. Melchizedek, I forgot to tell you. Melchizedek in verse 18, he is not only the king of Shalem, which... Do you know what Shalem means? I do not. It means peace. It also means the place Shalem, which is historically. You're saying Shalom? Nope. I'm saying Shalem. I think you're saying it a little different, but it sounds pretty yes, similar. Sh- it does sound pretty similar. Shalom, Shalem. They come from the same root word. Ah. And they mean and the same thing? And that is, yeah, I mean, because the same root means same. Same, same. So why so, are there two different words to mean the same thing? Shalom is the noun for peace. Shalem was a place that meant peace. Ah. So. Shalem, where Melchizedek was the king, that's that's Jerusalem. He's the king of Jerusalem. He's also in verse 18 identified as not only the king of Salem, but also the priest of the most high God. So he is a king and a priest at the exact same time. The author of Hebrews makes a claim specifically that there's very little historical evidence for who Melchizedek was as a person. And so the person who authored Hebrews says he is without genealogy, that he is uh, without a father or a mother, and that he is a archetype of Jesus, essentially is what they're summarizing in the book of Hebrews. Now, I will say Jewish scholarship, Jewish sages believe that Melchizedek is Shem, son of Noah. Not really super important, just a thing, just that it it could be. Could be, couldn't be. Doesn't really, that's not, it's like small potatoes, not really super important. The important part. And definitely the thing that we're talking about as it relates to Jesus is king and priest at the exact same time. That's not a thing in any place in the world. Like you're either part of the church or you're politician, but you're not both. Do you know what I mean? Like in, and like throughout history, I'm not saying that you couldn't fulfill both of those offices. It's just not a thing. You're either right. part of the ruling class or you're part of the spiritual ruling class, but like it's not usually that bridge is not usually spanned between the two. Right. So the next time that he shows up, and that's it. It's a little blurb in Genesis 14. And then it just keeps going on with that's Abraham's his entire story. thing. There, he just Boom, shows up, it. blesses Abraham, gets a tenth of his stuff, and is like, blesses cool. Abraham, gets a tenth of his stuff, gives him communion, bread and wine. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Okay. So the next time that it's mentioned that Melchizedek is mentioned is in Psalm 110. Okay, Psalm 110 starts with David speaking, and he says, "And Hashem said to my Lord." And the Lord said to my Lord, come, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then it goes, that's verse one. Verse four, it says, for I have sworn forever that you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and I will not change my mind. He's saying that the Lord most high, Hashem, yod heh okay, said to my Lord, who's David's Lord? Jesus. I was going to say, I'm it's assuming Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus before he knew yet. Jesus. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's been jesus since before the foundation of the world he just wasn't wrapped in a human jesus yet he wasn't the jesus as we think of him 
Yes. I give you a hesitatingly yes, because this is some of this, it gets into philosophical area. Time to us is linear. Yes. Time is not linear. Like as a thing, time isn't linear. Right. Also, what is time to God? Because he's timeless. Right. So he just is. It can start to like break our brains if we're trying to be like, well, wait a second, chicken or egg? If Jesus has been forever, then how? Always chicken. Okay. (laughs) So my my argument there is always chicken. Sure. So anyway, Jesus, it's Jesus. David is saying that the Lord, essentially he has a vision, okay, of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Okay. Which is a position of honor. It's also equality, equating Jesus to the Lord, whoever's sitting there at his right hand, because nobody else, everyone else, what's our position? in front of the Lord, the ancient of days when he's sitting literally on the throne. Uh, Not at the right hand. Could you be more specific? What do you think our position would be? Probably uh, bowing or kneeling. I was about to say kiss kiss the earth. That's that's our position. Face down on the ground. All right. So we don't really, as Americans, because we don't bow to people, because we're like really proud about the fact that we don't do things like that. Yeah. I'm going to say like the kneeling and everything now that's going on is not to actually kneel to a thing, it's to disrespect the thing that they think is disrespectful in the first place. So, like the kneeling that we see in our culture right now, I did not plan to get into this. Oh, you're talking. Oh, you're talking about that kneeling. Yes, yes. See, yes. I'm not thinking about that at all. Especially oh, when you ahead. talk about the church. I'm just picturing like. Oh, you're saying bowing, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but even that kneeling is not bowing. Right. Okay, and like so, the Hebrew word for worship, shabayach, is to literally prostrate yourself. What does it mean to prostrate? Lay down. How on your back? No. No, face down. Prostrate. Yeah. Like prone. Completely at the mercy of whatever you're bowing to because that's the literally probably like the most vulnerable position you can be in. I can't see what's above me. I can't see what's around me. I'm literally, you can just stomp my head and I'm dead because like that can't, what, what do I do to that? You're not that fast. I don't care if you're Bruce Lee. You're not getting up doing anything with that. It's like the most vulnerable position you can be in. So got a little bit off the beaten path with that, but Jesus sitting at the right hand, David sees this, and then he has this vision and hears the voice of the Lord. And the Lord says to this one who is sitting at his right hand, I have sworn forever that you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and I won't change my mind. So God is, David is third hand reporting, seeing that. And here God is saying that to Jesus. The Lord is saying that to Jesus. Uh-huh. Okay. So again, Melchizedek. Now, I know you're a good Hebrew scholar. Yeah. So you know what Melchizedek actually means. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which is, good question. Melchizedek <laughs> means king of righteousness. <laughs> king of righteousness. All right. So in the book of Hebrews, uh-huh. the author explains this for us. He says, now you can take apart Melchizedek. First, his name in the meaning of his name is king of righteousness. And then as a king, he is the king of peace. So he's the king of righteousness, king of peace, and he's a priest. Sounded a lot like Jesus, man. It, it, it ultimately is about Jesus. That's like the whole, that's the whole point that it is. Like, I don't believe that Melchizedek was a theophany. What's a theophany? I was going to say, explain. A theophany is an apparition of God in bodily form before the carnation of Jesus. Before Jesus was wrapped in a meat suit. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm poking fun, but essentially when we say the word was made flesh and made to walk amongst us. Yeah. We just literally said he put on a meat suit. I mean, yeah. he put on meat. So a theophany is an apparition of an, an appearance. If you don't like apparition, an appearance of God in bodily form before Jesus was on the planet as a person. Cause Jesus has been since before the foundation of the world, he has been right. And he will continue to be, but he did step down into time at a specific time as the person, Jesus of Nazareth. Right. So, Theophanies sometimes look like the angel of the Lord, right? Anytime that you see angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, understand that is 100% the Lord himself wrapped in a form, okay? Because every other angel that interacts with humankind, when the humans do what humans are supposed to do in the presence of the divine and fall down on their face, he says, don't do that. Any other angel says, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant. Don't worship me. And it tells him to get up. When the angel of the Lord is on the scene, doesn't say that. Also, the angel of the Lord is the one that speaks on behalf of the Lord specifically. Do they also, because I feel like every time regular angels show up, it's always like, don't be afraid. 
I realize I am a crazy looking mm. thing. Don't be afraid. Does the say that when the angel of the Lord pops in? I, I don't, I don't think I'm, so. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. I didn't fact check, but I don't think so. Huh. So also Genesis 22 is where Abraham and Isaac, it's called the Akedah in Judaism. It's the binding of Isaac. Also, because Isaac is bound. I know we were talking about that the one time and we were like, I don't know if he's actually bound. hundred percent. He's bound. Okay. Willingly bound, but bound all the, all the same. Yeah. And, uh, when Abraham is about to kill him, the angel of the Lord is the one that cries out and says, don't do that. The angel of the Lord who speaks on behalf of the Lord, because then he says, now I know that you love me, not now I know that you love the Lord. Mm. Right? So there's a whole thing there. Okay. Okay. So whether or not Melchizedek is a theophany, which I don't think so, because again, the only time we see him, he behaves like a normal person. Abraham doesn't worship him. He tithes to him. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham right. on behalf of the Lord. But the language doesn't indicate anything like it's divine. It treats mm. him like a regular person. Sure. And okay. I mean, the again, I'm not saying that the similarities stunning. Right. Stunning There's a lot of things lining up here. Well, yes, because this is the Lord leaving fingerprints all over the place. And so, yes, intentional. But um, I don't think that Melchizedek, the historical figure Melchizedek, was anything other than a person. Okay. A it's holy just person. In, but just like interesting person. that then David pulls out, you know, he sees in this vision. And God name drops this dude. Correct. Because the import is important. And the biggest thing that I can say for me and everything that I've studied about why he's important is the two functions that he, that he holds. Right. So inside Judaism, inside the Old Testament, what are the two offices that some person would be or, uh, or anointed for? The high priest. Mm-hmm. A priest. I mean, technically any priest, oh. but yes, priesthood or Starts with a K and rhymes with ingship. <laughs> that you're right, Bob. It's kingship. Kingship. You're huh. right. Like when Shmuel anoints the head of Dawid, right? He goes to the house of Yesi. He goes to the house of Yesi. Stop with this. And he finds all the sons, and he says, "None of these are the right dudes. Like, you have any more sons? If you don't like the the soft W of the Vav, you could say David, but that's fine." Yeah. And then Jesse says, yeah, I have one son, but he's just like the, the youngest one. He's out there tending the sheep. And he says, go get him and bring him before me. Then God says to Shmuel, this will be the next king. That's Samuel. Correct. That's Samuel. In case I'm assuming that you listeners, you already know this, but thank you, Bob. Shmuel is Samuel's Hebrew name. David or Dawid is David's name. Jesse's name in Hebrew is Yesi. That's an easy one. Just soften it a bit. So just like Shmuel pours the oil onto David's head. All right, because anointing him as the king. Interestingly enough, how old is David when he gets anointed as king? Twelve. Yeah, roughly. Sure. We that don't was, actually. That was an absolute guess. He's a young boy. Yeah. Young enough that he's still out tending sheep, which was like that nobody wants to do that job. So you send the youngest one. Yeah. He's Kedish. Okay, cool. So how uh how long was it before he actually became king? Long time. Give me like an estimation. Fifteen years. Many more than that. I would say many more. Huh. Saul continued to reign for a long time. I don't know how long it was. I knew he chased I don't him for a while. Know, I don't know how long, but like long enough that David or David or Dawid uh, matured, became a soldier in his own right and continued to fight and do everything else. And then. Yeah, he's like he fought Goliath and stuff when for, he was, well, he was uh, still When he was still a yet. young guy. Yeah. He, was, he wasn't king yet. I wonder actually, I'm not sure if that's before or after he's been anointed, but I think it's after that he goes and kills I Goliath. I think it's after. It is. I think so. Now, how, I wonder how enough, long it could be because... Like, what? Between his kingship and the anointing? Yeah. Okay. Because I'm just saying, there's like, people didn't live all that long. Like, yeah. we're, this is post-flood. post, post flood, so I mean, he didn't live to be like years 300, before. but I mean... Right. I mean, I, I think he would have lived at least 70 or 80 years. I'm, I'm sure that I could have fact-checked this. I just didn't even think we would be talking about David, so I didn't... I wasn't prepared, but... uh. You guys who are listening can absolutely go and Google or go search and find out when David dies, how old he was, because they probably recorded how old he was when he died. My whole point with that is the anointing that took place and anointed him and set him out as God's next king, that it took years, decades, a long time. It was not anywhere near immediate that he was anointed and then that he actually reigned as king. Hmm. Why am I saying this? Come on, let's see if you're tracking. Why am I saying the difference between his actual physical anointing and that his kingdom took a lot longer to be physically seen? Jesus. Correct. Trick questions are mostly going to just be Jesus. So you <laughs> just, just answer just any question with Jesus in, that and one in it the will back probably pocket. be applicable somehow. Okay. So 
If you ask most Jewish people today that follow dot, dot is how you say Judaism in Hebrew. It means understanding, which I, I think is a nice thing. If you ask most people that follow Judaism, why, and, and ask them about the Messiah, especially if it comes out that you're a Christian and they're going to be like, well, Jesus can't be the Messiah. Probably. If they've studied anything, they're going to say, well, he can't be the Messiah. Then you tell them they're wrong. Well, no. You look right in their eyes and you say you're wrong. Uh, a better thing would be like, why is that? Go ahead. Tell me why. Tell me why. Stop. I wasn't going to do it. And then you did it. It took so, everything I had to not do it. So, uh, come on, man. These are the meatballs that I'm throwing to you. Like, trying to have a they're going to say, Jeff. They're going to say, because war still exists on the planet. Okay. War still exists. And the Messiah is going to usher in peace, real peace. That in those days, they're going to beat their swords into plowshares. That there will, the lion will sit down with the lamb. That all these things will happen that we are obviously still not seeing right now. And if you don't know any better, you'd be like, dang, that's a really good answer. And I don't have anything to say to that. Right. And maybe then you'd question everything that you knew. And then, Bob, you would be correct. You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. So there are two things that somebody can be anointed for. And so like the word for anointing in Hebrew is Mashiach, is the title, anointed one. And Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. And his title is Mashiach. Okay. In Greek, it's Jesus Christos. And in English, it's Jesus Christ, because Christ, we covered this in the first episode, but just, you know, bring it all circle back. Christ is a transliteration from Christos, which is to be anointed for a religious purpose or for the political purpose, as opposed to a different word in Greek to anoint just like with perfume. So Jesus Christ, Jesus, the anointed one. Correct. So when Jesus came, we didn't get to say this last, was it last episode that we did Son of Man? Son of Man, Son of God? Yeah. Yes. Cool. One of the things that I had wanted to bring up, but I forgot to bring up is actually relevant to this now. So when Jesus refers to himself over and over again, prolifically as the son of man inside the gospels, it's over 80 times. There are times where he talks about his coming that hasn't happened yet. And Hmm. he says, and you will see the son of man coming on that day and doing X, Y, and Z. Right. And he draws distinction that I'm sure probably confused all of his disciples. Like, which, huh? Because obviously, like, you're standing right in front of us, so we're assuming this is already here. And I, I think we uh, take for granted the fact that we have, you know, two millennia that we've been able to study and get other people's opinions about all the things that Jesus said. And also, you know, the entire New Testament. And where that. A lot, where a um, lot of that stuff comes from. I mean, when, when it's easy to read the Gospels and, like, and be like, yeah, Jesus, get them. Like, have you, have you been here with me this long and you still don't understand those stupid disciples? But I think that if we were there, we'd be like, what? Uh, what? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't think that any of us. Uh, is there a reference to in the Old Testament to a second coming? Like, obviously, there is the coming of the Messiah. Is there a second coming? So I feel like a lot of the second coming is in New Testament. So, the, so that would even more confuse them and maybe explain that a bit. So, no, but I don't even think inside the New Testament. Is there an, a literal place inside the New Testament that says the second coming? I'm going to say Revelation. Just as a guess. I've been reading Revelation a lot, and I, I don't think it says anything about, I don't think it says it specifically like first and second comings. Right. Like that's something that we theologically talk about when Maybe we're talking about and explaining. Uh, I don't, so like a lot of times mm. the prophetic scripture that's talked about. Okay. So like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel talk about, behold, the days are coming. Like that's a pretty prevalent Old Testament prophetic phrase. Behold, the days are coming when X is going to happen, but it doesn't, I haven't found one that says specifically like it's going to happen two times like this or whatever. Right. In Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter 31. It says, behold, the days are coming that I will make a new covenant with my people, Israel and with Judah. And it will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers when I brought them out of Egypt and took them by the hand out of Egypt. And in those, in those days, I will write my law on their hearts and they will be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel says, behold, the days are coming that I will remove your heart of stone and I will put in a heart of flesh. Joel says, behold, the days are coming that I am pouring out my spirit on all flesh. And I will even pour it out on your bond servants and your female servants and all these other things. And your old men will dream dreams and your young men will have visions. And this is what Peter quotes in Acts in his sermon. And there's a bunch of different spots that talk about the reality that we're living in now. These are those days that's mentioned now, the new covenant and all this other stuff. I, I don't mean to be disrespectful with all the other stuff, just, you know, everything that right. I just mentioned. There's a lot of things there. We are obviously not 
in days where Jesus is reigning as a physical king on the earth, because obviously, because there's nobody named Jesus reigning in Jerusalem, because what is the city of God? It's Jerusalem. It's always been Jerusalem. It will always be Jerusalem. Even when it's made new, it's still going to be new. What? Jerusalem. So Jesus is not reigning inside Jerusalem. So obviously the days of him reigning as a king are not here. And so I think what most times Christian people get confused with, which is a whole nother onion, is that we don't study. And so we don't know a lot of this stuff that it can be known like this. Some of the things that God says in the Bible are hard to understand. I've been reading Revelation a lot. Yeah. And like on repeat, because it's like, there's a lot there. There's a, there's a lot and a lot there. And uh, some things are more mysterious than others. The things that I'm talking about, I don't want to say they're trivial because they are important. But I mean, like, as in trivia, like you can acquire this knowledge by study. Right. Like, it's not impossible to do and to know the things. I'm reasonably uh, aware of the Bible. You know what I do a lot? Read it. I read it a lot. And I study it a lot. And so we could all do that. What I mean with all this digression is we don't like part of what we're doing here, Bob, is to try to understand and try to help other people understand the differences when they say things that are church talk, you know, like yep. plenty of people, I think, absolutely think, oh, Jesus Christ. And just think like, yeah, that means he's the son of God. No, no. Yes, but also no, like the title Christ doesn't mean those things. It means the anointed one. And uh, do you know the only human being specifically inside the Hebrew scriptures that was ever titled Messiah by the Lord? I'm going to give you a hint. I need He's a, hint. a Gentile. It's in the book of Isaiah. His Enoch. name is Cyrus. No, no. I don't Enoch. know, man. Enoch was a, well, I guess technically he was a, not a Jew because <laughs> Jews weren't a thing yet. But not really important. Cyrus is the only human being in the Hebrew scriptures to ever be referred to with the Hebrew title Messiah and God saying to Cyrus, you are my Messiah. And it was a, that's a bit of prophecy that again, if you don't study and you don't understand, you'd be like, what? So that letter was written to Cyrus like 150 years before it was actually given to Cyrus. And God is singling him out and saying, you are my Messiah and I'm going to use you to do things. And Cyrus is the predecessor that brings people back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and do a bunch of other things. Oh, Cyrus was really old. It was written 150. Well, I guess no, no, he, no, no. It I was guess written. He didn't have to be alive. Yeah, then. no. It was written before he was alive or even a person. Oh. And then he becomes king and God says, go give this letter to this dude. I, I mean, I don't know that he said this dude, but you know. No, he did. He paraphrased. That's how I, I paraphrased the Lord. That's how I picture the Lord speaking. It's just like, he just speaks normal. You know, he speaks to us as we understand. So Right. He just speaks um, normal. And also sometimes as we don't understand because we are dummies. But sometimes I need to be talked to like <laughs> I remember that TikTok you sent me. Can you make it really clear like I'm, I'm kind of an idiot? Like really, really clear. Because I'm kind of a dummy. However clear you think you need to make it, make it a little more clear than that. There was so much that I wanted to send back to that, <laughs> but I didn't. So <laughs> the name Messiah carries some weight that is not due to it in reality inside the church because we, because we take words and like Jesus embodies all that. He is our redeemer. He's our savior. He is our peace. He is uh, the great I am. He's the everlasting father. He's the mighty God. He's so many things. And so then we use them like synonyms. And what we inadvertently do is try to say, well, this means this. No, it doesn't. And like, yes, he is still this thing. He is still my redeemer. He still is my savior, but Christ doesn't mean savior. Christ means the anointed one. Mm. And through him being the Christ, he is my savior, but that's not what it means. Right. And so like, if you don't understand what the meaning is, then you can get lost in like, well, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, cool. Inside the church that works because like, yes, we do know what you mean. But if you're talking to somebody that's not inside the church and you're trying to go into all the world and make students of all people and show them what you've been seeing. It would behoove you and I to know what we're talking about more articulately and be able to, you know, right. actually converse. Because other people can read the Bible too. There are plenty of atheists that can quote scripture and read things. You're so me it's not a recipe that you, it's not like if you just do this, it happens. Yeah. So Correct. We, we might want to know it a little bit better than them so you can have a so conversation. So let's do that. So I'm doing it right now. Bro. Correct. I mean, collectively, let's do that. So we have to address Melchizedek and what that means as the high priest thing. Yep. Okay. So tried to explain how Jesus is, we're waiting for Jesus to be crowned king, that he has not been crowned king yet officially because his marriage feast hasn't happened yet, where we're going to all celebrate the fact that he's a king now. And it's going to be- His uh, kingdom isn't set up yet. It's going to be a whole thing. Uh, we haven't, we're waiting for that. He has gone to prepare a place. He has come now and has been for the last 2000 years come 
to institute a better covenant under a new high priest and a new priesthood. So the author of Hebrews is talking about the reality of Melchizedek versus Levi. All right. Some of the things he's talking about that sacrifice was still going on, which means that if I might make some people angry, if Hebrews was authentically written at the time that the material suggests, then it's prior to 70 AD. Because in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed by the Romans. And obviously, you can't offer sacrifice if there's no temple to offer it in. So they were still like slaughtering animals and yes. doing all that and kind of sacrifice. The author references this as a concept and counters it with how the Messiah offered, well, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek offered sacrifice once and for all and the validity of it and all this. So Jesus is our high priest and he offered sacrifice once through being a perfect and spotless lamb for all of humanity once and it's done and that he was made to know all the things that we deal with so that it was a valid sacrifice in the fact that it's uh, why did God have to put on a meat suit so that he could be tempted in all the ways that everyone else who wears a meat suit is tempted and fails. I'm going to be very oversimplifying, but uh, Torah, the law of the Lord, which really means teaching, the teaching of the Lord is perfect, right? Correct? This is what the Psalms say. Yep. It tastes like honey on my lips. It's all these great things. It's impossible for me to fulfill. It's impossible for you and every other human being. None of us can fulfill the law. Nope. Which is why sacrifice is built in as a system in the law. Right. All right. Paul talks about this in his epistles. That if it were able to be followed, we wouldn't have a need for sacrifice in the first place. But because we can't, we have to have a way to get back to God. That being said, it is still, the law is still a good thing in itself because it is a reflection of the Lord. Right. Okay. Even though there's a new covenant. Yes. The new covenant is the agreement between us and God. Right. Which just like the original covenant, God is the only one who's a party to that covenant. Abraham doesn't walk between the beasts. It's just God doing his own thing, guaranteeing the covenant through himself. So that's a whole nother thing. Do you, would you say, Bob, that you uh, feel that you are a priest of the Lord? I would say no. <laughs> okay. I don't. Def- defend I feel your like position. I, I feel like I don't live. <laughs> should I be? Yes. I feel like are I don't you live called, up to that. Okay. Maybe a better question is, are you called to be a priest of the Lord? We all are. Could you say that a little louder, please, Bob? <clears throat> we all are. Ooh, why? Why do you think that? I agree, hundred percent. I'm just <laughs> for the sake of conversation. Why like, do you think that? You're like making me sweat. Uh, this is where the truth lies in the center of the onion, <laughs> the deep down truth. All right, so there's a couple spots. I'm going to help you out. Yeah, there's a couple do. spots all over the place where. Uh, okay, so some some Christian cat posters, right? Behold, you are what? a uh, <laughs> Christian cat poster. Okay, what's a cat poster? It's usually the motivational cat posters, you know, I mean? like just hang oh, in there. Dude, yeah. I'm making a reference. Same. I thought that we had been around each other enough that you would have picked this up. Okay. Got nothing so for that. There's like scripture that Christians gravitate to that yes. we then use to decorate and use like cat posters. Yeah. Okay, like the joy of the Lord is your strength out of Nehemiah, which it is. It's also not what you think it is. Jeremiah 29. That's a whole other thing. Jeremiah 29 11, which is talking to an exiled people in Israel. Whole other thing. Does it still mean kind of what you think it means? Yes. But also like do your homework, like read, read the Bible. Like I'm, I'm not mad at inspiring scripture. Okay. I am mad at devaluing scripture though. Do you know what I mean? Like if it yeah. just becomes like a, I have a Christian t-shirt on right now. Okay. Yes, that I made it. and you know, yeah. it says the church, church is a people, not a place. Yep. Not scripture in itself, but I have scripture on the back where Jesus says, this is my church. Okay. And what he talks to Peter and how it will, what it's founded on. Yes, I enjoy uh, putting the truth out there and especially trying to get people to think about it. But if it ends up just becoming another thing, then it's worthless. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't like the devaluing process. So that, all that to say with Christian cat poster, all right? What I mean by that is like when things that most Christians know, maybe by rote, like by memory that you were taught right. in Sunday school, but it has no real impact on your life. Yeah. Okay. It, so like, everybody can give quote you John example. 3.16. Correct. Most famous verse in all of, human history. And yet how much of us are really guided by that as a principle, even inside the church, forget everybody else, just inside the church. Not a lot. Not so many. So in, I think it's first, I think it's first Peter two, nine. I'm pretty sure is the address. He says, behold, you are a a chosen people of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people for God's own possession. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's almost exactly what it says. Yes. Okay, cool. 
Chosen so, race is in there. Chosen race. Okay. I said people. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession. Okay. So this is one point right here that I'm going to use to indicate that I think you're correct. When we are all called to be priests of the Lord, however, do, do we ever reflect that? Mm. To varying degrees. Yep. Also depends on the day of the week sometimes. Oh, man. I'm, but, guilty, I'm but guilty of it. it. But should it? No, absolutely not. No, it, sh- no, it should not. So, royal priesthood. Again, like we can, yeah, yeah, chosen race, royal priesthood. Ooh, yeah, this is great stuff. What does it mean? What is, what is the royal priesthood? Hint, we've been talking about it for about 40 minutes Caught now. Me in the middle of a drink of water. There. Melchizedek. He is a royal priest. Mm. That's not a usual thing. All right. And Paul, Peter is saying you are a royal priesthood. Okay. He's also quoting from another spot. I'm not going to get into that right this So second. if he is a royal priest and we are all a royal priesthood, are we all Melchizedek? Well, we're not. We we aren't Melchizedek the in the person. order in the order Melchizedek of, the movement. No, no, no. It, well, it, technically, it would be like Melchizedekian. I guess would be like the like yeah. Jesuit in the Catholic Church. Like okay, yeah. so there's Jesuits. There's uh, I'm blanking on literally every other order of Catholic priests. I mean, you're better than me. I didn't know there were more than Florentine. Uh, there's like a bunch like Sicilian. The order of Malta. Like there's so many different orders inside the Catholic Church of like essentially they are like denominations with inside the Catholic Church. Well, essentially. And so like Franciscan. Okay, that's that's another one. Franciscan monks. Okay, like any when there you ever if you ever read in history and it's been talking about monks or nuns and it gives a adjective before it that's capitalized that's the order that they follow so jesuit monk that's a monk in the jesuit order franciscan in the franciscan order florentine whatever etc 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 so technically if you were going to put it in that form it would be like melchizedekian sounds kind of weird but a little bit i don't want to get like people inside the church get real weird with melchizedek like real weird like there's some real fringe beliefs out about what melchizedek is because He's almost an anomaly because he's not like prolifically talked about in the Bible even or then in history. He's not like, you know, in the church history, he's not prolifically used. He's in three of the big books, though. He is. Like he's Genesis, in Genesis, Psalms and Hebrews. It's three of the three of the big ones. Pretty big. All right. So Peter talks about this in Revelation in the Revelation of John in the very beginning. John, I think it's John 1, 7 or Revelation 1, 7. John says, for he has made us a kingdom and priests. Okay, talking about Jesus, that he has made us into priests. In Romans 12, Romans 12, 1. Go ahead. Revelation 1, 6. It is 1, 6. Off by one verse. Dang it. How dare he you? He says it another time, also in Revelation, but not super important. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Cool. Now let's take apart because Paul is super wordy, like myself. So like everything is action packed in there. All right. After the, I'm begging you to do this thing. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. You know anything about sacrifices and how they were supposed to be offered to the Lord in the Old Testament? There's so much stuff there that they go through. Okay, just give me the cliff notes. What are two qualifiers? Hint, it's actually in the verse that I literally just said. Is it perfect and unblemished? Correct. Without spot or blemish, right? Yeah. Perfect, holy, acceptable. Cool. Cool. Paul says, present your bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable. Hold up. Is my body holy and acceptable? Yes. How is that possible? Because I'm already covered under the blood of Jesus, the high priest of order Melchizedek. Understand also with the high priesthood specifically and how Melchizedek and the understanding there, you have to understand Yom Kippur. Under the Levitical priesthood in Yom Kippur, and I think it's Leviticus 16, there's very specific prescription about how the high priest, an imperfect person, can go into the Holy of Holies inside the temple and stand before the presence of God and not be consumed by fire like Nadab and Abihu. Oh, yeah, I remember reading. There's a whole whole list of things. He's got to prepare on for Yom like Kippur. Ever. On Yom Kippur, he has to sacrifice for his sins, for his household sins, and then he takes two different goats, casts lots over them. One gets given to the Lord and one gets given to Azazel. And then the one that's given to the Lord, same thing, takes the blood, sanctifies all the things inside the altar, inside the temple, and then the actual mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. And then he goes, after having done that, he goes back out and confesses all the transgression, the sin, and the iniquity of the people of Israel from that year 
onto the goat for Azazel, and that goat becomes sin, who knew no sin. Yeah, you heard what I said. That's that's another one of Paul that he quotes and says, he became sin, who knew no sin. Right. He is the goat that is converted into sin for us in Yom Kippur, Mm -hmm. and he didn't have to because he's also the goat that was given to the Lord, who is a perfect goat, who has his blood spilled so that we can get into the holy place. So you have to understand this as Yom Kippur and how Yom Kippur works to understand all of Melchizedek and the fact that Jesus is instituting one where he is giving his own body and fulfilling the old one and also instituting a new one at the same time. We can now go boldly before the throne of God and boldly into the holy place and into the most holy place, which is wild. A fact that is slept on in the church Uh, everywhere. Prolifically. Everywhere. Like we should never in reality... If we gave proper weight to what the Lord said, we should never struggle with anything. You and I in this room have access to the Holy Spirit of God, the same spirit that killed Nadab and Abihu for coming too close to it with some incense that God said or didn't say, do that. It wasn't even that he said, don't do that. He just didn't say, do that to get near me. Right. And they came around with incense because they were, I'm assuming, happy. You know, they just... This, no, is when Aaron, this is when Aaron and the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood is being inaugurated and they come before the tent of meeting, which is where the Holy Spirit rested before the Ark of the Covenant was a thing. And holy fire came out and consumed them. And hmm. we're not consumed on a daily basis. Right. Understand the real implication about that. All right. Going back to Romans 12, 1, hmm. that our bodies are already holy and acceptable in the eyes of the Lord and present it as a living sacrifice. Now, again. In the sacrificial system of Moses, what happens to the sacrifice? It's blood, right? Yep. All the blood's drained out. Burned. Then what's happening? Exactly. Then what's happened to the body? It's burned. Burned. So continually offer your body up to the Lord as a holy and acceptable sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, which means if you're not even doing that, you're being unreasonable. Mm. Goodness gracious. Yeesh. I'm not done yet. Oh, <laughs> we're not done yet. There's more. But wait, there's more. You said it initially, Bob, and I think you are a good thermometer for a lot of people. As I, as I do. I think that most of us play peekaboo and think that if I don't acknowledge this in my mind, it's not there and I'll just keep doing what I want to do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's silly. I know. That's silly talk. And yet here I am still doing it sometimes. So because we don't view ourselves as priests of the Lord, we don't comport ourselves as priests of the Lord because that's what you started to say. You said, well, I don't really, I don't always act like it. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What if we actually lived like what we were supposed to do? Now, again. I don't again, think we can. Huh? I don't think we can. Oh, I knew you were going to say it, and I'm so glad you did. I walked you right into that trap. <laughs> you did. I walked you right in there. I'm still sticking with it, no matter what you say next. <laughs> Not for long. Just wait, I'm going to hit you with the word. Behold, the word of the Lord is like a fire and hammer, and it breaks apart the rock. That's Jeremiah 23. Yeah. Okay. Get ready. So I'm bringing the hammer. <laughs> so in Romans 12, 1, it says that your body is holy and acceptable, mm-hmm. right? And to present it as a sacrifice to the Lord. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that your body is holy and acceptable being an imperfect person and me? How, how am I holy and acceptable before the Lord? Because I still sin, right? Correct. I Jesus. still sin. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to isogize a lyric from Jairo. Where it says, you'll never be more loved than you are right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to make that what the word says. You will be never, you'll never be more holy than you are right now. Why is that? Jesus. Correct. It's Jesus. He's going to keep saying Jesus. You are, again, Paul says in earlier in, in Romans, in the epistle of Romans, right after the famous Christian cat poster, he works all things for the good of those who love them. Right? Romans 8, 28. Yep. Like every Christian that's been in church since they were a kid knows this. Yeah. Behold, he, he works, works all things, things for your good yeah. according to those who love him and are called according to the purpose. Yeah, people leave that, that part off. Correct. They usually just stop. He works all things for our good. Yes. Who is us? But yes, yes. The ones who are that love him. And how do we know what love is? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. So there's that. Those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then he says, for those who he called, this is 829. For those who he called, he foreknew and knew that they would be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. In the Greek, that's sumorphos, which means literally to have the same image as Jesus. 
which this whole process that we're describing is sanctification, the process of becoming holy. This is also when it happens and when it's happening in you, all right, this is fulfilling prophecy. The ones that we mentioned earlier with Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel, all right, this is the sanctification process and it's literally fulfilling thousands of year old prophecy when it happens on a daily basis in people's lives. If your goal is to be Christ-like, you are going to fail sure. because your goal's off. Your goal should not to be Christ-like. That's not, that shouldn't be your goal. Go ahead. Say what you're thinking. Why huh? not? Huh? <laughs> That's all I mean. Yeah. Mainly just- Can you huh? be Christ? No. Okay. So why are you trying to? Because- Because that's what I've been told since I was a little kid. No. Well, like if we're made in the image of God, we're supposed to be like- Everybody always says this. We're made in the image of God. No. Adam was made in God's image and we have been born from people. Like, okay. don't- People say things like this, like, oh, but God, I'm made in God's- Yeah. As a human being and the race, we're made in God's image. Okay. Okay. But you were formed in your mother's womb, just like I was. Sure. Adam was not. He was formed literally by the hands of God. Yeah. So it's not relevant to this discussion is essentially what I'm saying. So, but back in Genesis when he, he they say we're going to make man in our image. Yeah. Is he only talking about Adam? No, he's talking about Adam as the representative of the entire human race. Right. Okay. So how's this related so to what we we're actually talking about? God. The human race is, yes. Yeah. Why is that relevant to what I'm saying about how can you be Christ-like? Because if we are... Because it sounds like you're saying, well, because we're all people, then we no, can all be if Christ-like. If we're made, no. Go ahead. That's what it sounds like. That's what I'm asking. No, I'm just saying if we're made, if you're made in the image of God, then are you not supposed to be like God? Is that not the goal? Is the goal not to be in every way more like Christ? Yes, that whole process is called Torah. That's what, and it's that's impossible what to meet. Yeah. And, but the goal is still to be Christ-like. No, that's the goal of Torah, to be Christ-like. Which again, Just because you can't meet it doesn't mean it's not the goal. Yes. You can make all the faces, but I'm going to still, there's a point here. All right. If your goal is to be Christ-like and I know, and you know, right? We both, let's be honest. I cannot be Christ-like. Yes. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. Right? That's what our brother Paul said. Sure. Okay. Do you know what he's actually talking about? When your goal is to do an action, you're going to fail at that standard because only one person could keep that standard. And that's the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus. Yeah. He's the only one that can keep the standard. Uh-huh. If your goal is to keep his standard, you're going to fail because only he can keep the standard. Right. The standard has already been credited to you. If your goal is to be him, you're going to fail because you are Bob, not Jesus. Correct. I am Jeff, not Jesus. Right. If your goal is to be near God, if your goal is to have fellowship with God, he will fulfill scripture in your life. And he will make you like him. Because who's the one doing it? He is. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is I the thing do. I'm going to have to I'm gonna it, unpack it, it some It just more. makes it sound a lot like, I don't have, have to do anything. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's what it sounds like, though. Correct. I'm going to unpack it some more. I did it intentionally because so many people inside the church are doing exactly what I'm talking about. I see. So I work in prison. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast or not. I work in prison. I get to talk to a lot of people that are very candid about a lot of things because you're in prison. What are you going to do to me? Like. There's no reason to lie at the, about the things that I'm talking about, about religion and things, because literally, who cares? We're in prison. You can't do anything to me. You know? So it's like a really interesting candor that I get to interact with. So many people that I've interacted with inside the church and inside prison and other places in my life are absolutely trying to do the things that I'm talking about. They're absolutely trying to meet this standard. And when they can't, and they're told over and over again, you have to meet this standard, they're depressed, they're angry. They're anxious. They blame the Lord. They do all kinds of other things because they've been told, be Christ-like. You can't be Christ-like. That's literally why Christ came, because you can't be Christ-like. So tell me again how the goal is to be Christ-like. It isn't. The goal is to be with God. What did John 17, 3 say? Go ahead. And this is eternal life. That's how it starts. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Correct. All right. The goal is to be with God. All right, so Adam, before sin, walked literally with God and was with God and had fellowship with God. Sin separates us from God, that we can't be around him because unholiness can't be near him because he's completely holy. And the idea of being completely holy is to be free from spot and blemish, and it's completely dedicated to what it is, okay? Okay. As priests of the Lord, this is, I'm going to tie it together because this is why it's related to Melchizedek. So so you're saying if you are 
rather than your focus being on being Christ-like yourself, if your focus is on God and not on, well, go ahead. If your focus is on God and Jesus, you know, being in God's presence, all those things, then those things work themselves out in you. Well, I wouldn't say God works them out. There it is. We're getting better. We're getting better. Listen, you're very particular with wording. You knew what I meant. (laughs) Yes, but because there's bigger implications. All right. So while we are an agent in the process, all right, we are a co-agent with God. In Romans 8, 28, it says that he works all things together. It's kind of an awkward English thing. In the Greek, it means that he is a co-worker. Sun erchos. He works together with us for our good to the ones who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus told us what it means to love him. Love is an action. If you love me, you will do what I tell you to do. You will obey me. All right. So when we are obedient to the Lord and do what he tells us to do, okay, which again, starts to sound a lot more like being Christ-like. Yeah. Nope. Read all of the gospel of John. Read 15 where it talks about, not just you, I'm just saying in general. Read where it says that he is the vine and we are the branches and we are grafted in. All right. The idea is to be continually resorting to him. All right. It's a paradox because it is so foreign to our race as the human race. It is foreign to us to do the things that I'm talking about, to submit to the Lord so completely over and over and over again, all day, every day striving to let go of everything. That's an oxymoron. How do you work hard to release something? You don't, you just release it. But that's the whole point. Christianity is striving to release everything to let the Lord do what he wants to do because he is the only one that can do it for us. When the goal is I'm going to be like God, uh, we are going to taste the dirt because pride comes before the fall. So that sounds real, real Satan-like. Correct. Real pride. devilly. Pride comes before the fall, and that means we're about to fall. This is where Paul says, take heed, any of you that think you stand, lest you fall. All right? The goal and our goal should be eternal life, to know God and to know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. All right, in Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 9. It is. I Just kidding. The Lord just gave it back to me. All right, so it's in Jeremiah chapter 9. It's at the end of the chapter. He says, "Can with what can a man exalt himself? Do not let the wise man exalt himself with his wisdom. Don't let the strong man exalt himself with his strength. Don't let the rich man exalt himself with his riches. With only this may a man exalt himself, his knowledge and contemplation of me. For I am the Lord. I am the worker of righteousness, kindness, and justice in the land. And in these is my desire, the word of the Lord. Okay? Pretty close. That's pretty much spot on. Pretty close. I've been studying it a lot. So there's so much in there. The only thing that we can, this word to exalt is literally the word for praise. It's where we get hallelujah from, hallel, which if you look up its etymology, it means to shine, okay, to shine out, All right? The only thing that we can shine on in our lives is our contemplation and our knowledge of the Lord. And then he gives us what that looks like practically. I am the one who works righteousness, kindness, and justice in the land, and this is what I want from you. And in these is my desire, kindness, justice, and righteousness. There's so much there. I'm not saying that we should just say, oh, cool, then I'm a hippie and I just like, I don't do anything and like, let the Lord work it out because, you know, I'm covered. No, far from it. Far from it. I do believe that we have all been called to be priests of the Lord, that he has made us priests of his God. I do believe that that means that we should behave like ones. Also holiness. Okay. Holiness means complete and total dedication to whatever that object is that it's holy to. The Lord said, I am holy, so you'll be holy. What he actually said is, you will be holy because I am holy. Right. Why aren't we? Because we don't want to be, most of us, because we are consumed and distracted by football and by work and by video games and by TV. All the things that I do. (laughs) I'm also naming things that I do. Uh, All the things that we also identify ourselves as. Yeah. Like what when somebody, so I I detest, Bob knows, I detest football. I can't stand it. He hates it Uh, so much with vehemence. I, I can't stand it. So. An interesting thing that's been happening to me in the last two years, while I dislike football with extreme passion, I like football, the world's football, I used to like, and I used to watch it a lot, and I used to play it when I was a kid. Soccer it's, is what I'm talking about. It's called soccer. The World Cup's on right now. Right? It's called soccer. The World Cup's on right now. You know how much I've watched? The Irish people would say, Nilsha, none. I haven't watched any of it. I used to really like Liverpool. All right, That's my like go-to team in the English Premier League. You know how much I've watched in the last two years? None. Nilsha. Not like a single minute of it. So we say things to the Lord all the time in prayer, like consume me and 
Lord, I want your desires and I want to desire the things that you and I want to be close to you and I want you and we say all these things. And my question would be, uh, do we mean it? Because if you do, um, he is faithful and just to give it to you, what he wants. And you know what that ends up looking like? Uh, Like you don't really care about football anymore. Like you don't really care about these other trivial things that used to be important to you. I think you still have hobbies though. Like you still have things. Bob, you know my lifestyle right now. And like the season of my life, I have a young daughter. I have a seventh month, seven month old. All right. So she takes up a lot of time. But outside of the one thing that I still have, which the Lord has been convicting me of with video games, which I don't play a ton of, yeah. but it is like the one thing that I would consider a hobby that I do. Outside of that, my time is basically spoken for like all day. And I read my Bible and I pray. And then when I'm not doing that, usually I'm talking to people literally and explaining the things that they're, that we're talking about right now. I'm having conversations with real humans talking about things like this and explaining the Bible as it's been revealed to me because we can't help but speak about the things that we have seen and heard. And uh, my life is a lot more simple than it used to be. And I could not be more content than I am. And like for a long time, things that I was really holding on to because I thought they were important to me, brought their own kind of baggage. And because the Lord is not uh, a SWAT team. He is not pounding down the door of your heart to get in. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. So he's a gentleman and he'll tell you he's there and he'll knock on the door for you. It's your choice to let him in. And if you do, he will come in and he'll eat with you and spend time with you. But when you say, all right, I'm I'm about to do me. All right, then. I'm not talking about salvation per se. I am not the judge and I can't judge anybody's salvation, nor do I want to. But um, there's, there's that. There's that whole thing. So in, a so, nutshell, Melchizedek. so in a nutshell with Melchizedek, all right? This is how Jesus fulfilled the role of Messiah the first time that he was here. The Bible doesn't really say as a first time or a second time. Jesus does make mention as him being the son of man between when he was here the first time and there being another time that the son of man is going to come and fulfill other things. When he was here, he instituted a better covenant. This is mentioned in at least Jeremiah, where Jeremiah talks about the new covenant that will be fulfilled on these days and how it'll look. He is our high priest and he has set up a new priesthood. Also, more to the point of how I'm relating that and how the Lord has related it to me for us as people. Why, like, why is this important? Okay. Uh, inside even the Levitical priesthood. Okay. There's the high priest. Yes. But then there's also a bunch of other priests who had other things to do related to the priesthood, all right? And there weren't always massive tasks, like literally Zechariah and Elizabeth, parents of John the Baptist. He is a Levitical priest who, you know, is talked about, like he has this vision when he's inside the temple. So he's inside the holy place and he has an interaction with the Lord. And everybody's like, what, what's he doing in there? And like, oh, he must be having a vision or something. Apparently that was like a popular enough option that, that's what they thought. Oh, it must be that. And it was his turn to serve in the temple. So there were turns, all right? Inside what the church looks like and inside like functioning of the church, I don't think that everybody is called to be operating in the exact same way per se. So like, I also don't think this is going to get me in trouble, but too bad. I really don't think that um, the church inside of America looks like what it should look like, even in the way that it runs. Like I know, and I understand what Paul says about decently and in order, let things be decently and done and in order. So much of what Jesus did and when he came here, his goal was uh, decentralization. That's a big thing inside cryptocurrency. It's also a big thing inside the faith. Okay. If you know anything about the temple or if you don't, you're going to know more and more about it the longer that you listen to us talk because it's super important. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was split between the holy place and the most holy place and the Holy Spirit of God was released into the world. Because before that, that's where it stood inside the most holy place, which means when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, and he says, she's like, well, y'all think that you're right because you say you have to worship on this mountain, but we say that you can worship on this one. And Jesus is like, you have said, well, meaning you're right. Y'all are wrong and we're right. This is where you're supposed to worship over here in Jerusalem. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, but I tell you, the days are coming and behold, they're already here where you must worship God in spirit and in truth, not in this place or that place. Mm. Jesus came to decentralize. And then through history, we have done a great job of recentralizing all kinds of things. 
if we're all supposed to be priests and we all actually looked like that, could you imagine what the world would look like? Could you even just imagine, like, forget the world for a second and just say, what would America look like if every person that was a part of the body of Christ actually behaved like what they were supposed to behave like and were holy to the Lord? It'd be radically different. Oh, my, oh, my, my. Lord, come. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Amen to that. So that's that. So this has been the fifth episode of Jesus Didn't Speak English. This is Jesus Christ, high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I don't know what we're going to talk about next episode. We haven't really discussed it. It's going got to be a couple a ideas. Surprise. Got a couple ideas floating around, but you're going to have to stay tuned for that one. Uh, we have a bunch of ways that you can interact with us. We have a link tree. The link to that, again, is linktr.ee dot ee slash jdse dot podcast. We also have an email that's linked on there. You can connect to us from the link tree. We have a YouTube. We have... The obviously the podcast that you're listening to right now, it's like everywhere that podcasts exist. We also have an Instagram. We would love to interact with anybody. If you have been enjoying this, if there's something that you want to understand better, if there's something you want to talk about, if you don't know Jesus and you'd like to know about him, any of the above, anything else that's not covered, please reach out. Uh, you can either hit us through email or the link tree or anything like that. I know that I would love to interact with you. I don't know about you guys, Bob. I'll interact. <laughs> It might be about football. <laughs> so there's that. Um, something that I've been saying on our Instagram, because I've been doing like a daily devotional kind of thing, is uh, read for your life, pray for your life, study for your life. Because right? I, I really think that they are that important, that you should be reading the Bible for your life. And I'm using the phrase, run for your life. Except instead of running, read for your life, pray for your life, study for your life. Like your life depended on it. Because it really, really does. Literally does. So much. And so I hope this has been informative and revelatory and i hope the holy spirit has spoken to you until next time i would just like to tell you uh vakshu lelo keep seeking